God is faithful. And I wouldn't trade any one of those experiences of losing sleep at night because I, how am I going to provide and put food on the table for my kids and my family? Uh, I wouldn't trade that for the world because it, it molded me. It, it, the Lord beat me down in my pride and my arrogance in order to make me a better disciple, which in turn would make me a better evangelist and a better witness for him. God is ultimately faithful. He will make a way out of no way. He will provide for you as he has provided for me. We have to be thankful that that manna is going to fall. How do we move from fear to faith? How do we change a focus on doubt and apprehension to a focus on trust and detachment as we live out our faith in positions of leadership? In today's episode, international Catholic evangelist, Bible teacher, podcaster, and founder of Upper Room Studios, Hector Molina, shares his personal experience of leadership and ministry from the trenches and on what selling out for Jesus really means. The Lord wants all of us. He wants all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. Nothing less will satisfy. It's either all or nothing. And we need to respond as, as disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to offer him our everything. And that's going to put us in some very precarious positions and circumstances. Because to live out the faith, practically speaking, to be faithful to the Great Commission and what that entails requires courage nothing less than courage and faith in the Lord. Christian leadership demands bold risks, risks we must face with courage, knowing that God makes us able to withstand any circumstance and remains faithful in fortifying our hearts. This is Living the Call. Hector, God bless you, brother. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm checking out, obviously, uh, and I already mentioned you get the benefit of my gravel voice. So I'm going to clear my throat about 86 times on this <laughs> podcast, but I'll try to do it. I'll try to do it off the uh, off the mic. Um, so, you know, I know you've got a, a bunch of accolades to which I just want to add one more, right? But you're international Catholic evangelist, you're a Bible teacher, now you're a podcaster, which I definitely want to talk about. Um, <laughs> you're leader, leader of pilgrimages. You're now the founder of a great ministry, Upper Room Studios. Um, my favorite one is The Mode Evangelist. That's my favorite one. Um, and, uh, and a whole bunch of people have, you know, given you accolades, right? You got uh, Princes of the Church, Cardinal Burke and Peter Craved, who we can also talk about, and Tim Staples and yada, yada. But if I could add just one accolade is that you are the best dressed man in all of Catholic ministry, my brother. <laughs> you are too kind, my friend. <laughs> it's really, it's really good to see you. And in all seriousness, uh, a great friend, um, someone who always has time for other people, um, Big, a big influence in, in my family's life, uh, and especially in inspiring my wife to write her book and get into that ministry. So it's a real, real privilege to have you here, brother. Uh, it's a joy to be with you, Charlie. You know my love for you and for your family and for the work that you do. So it's a privilege. Amen. Where are you? You're in your studios. Is that St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in my home studio here in St. Louis, in Fenton, Missouri, technically speaking. Fenton. Hmm. Okay. Um, and you've been there for, you've been there for a minute in St. Louis. You're from New I'm York. A, yeah. I'm a native New Yorker, a New Yorican, yes. born and bred. Uh, I left St. Louis for love. You know, you do crazy. Oh, I left New York for love. Rather you do crazy things okay. for love. Um, been there. so yeah, I've been here in St. Louis since, uh, 2004 got married here 
and settled down and I've been here ever since. So yeah, it's, it's been a hot minute. Yeah, definitely has. You know, one of the things that I think about when I think about you, and this is just literally in preparation for this podcast, right? I was thinking of uh, Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some as apostles, others as prophets, others as evangelists, others as pastors and teachers. You know, people will know that and how to complete that, that phrase. But I definitely think about you when I think about the different roles and the different um, ministries that the Holy Spirit inspires empowers and you know you are you know a, a, a great speaker a great uh you know teacher <clears throat> evangelist someone who's really you know sold out frankly for for the faith and talk about a position position of leadership i mean a lot of the things you're doing you're doing for the first time right and so there's a ton for us to talk about but i kind of want to just dive in a little bit in just maybe to start off in this idea of um you know kind of media ministry Right. And, and maybe how that's how that's changed. You just launched a new uh, media postulate, Upper Room Studios, and you've got a podcast and all that stuff. But I want to talk about the word. I want to talk. And I know you have Walk in the Word, your podcast, but I want to talk about how the word is, is kind of evolving by the virtue by virtue of, of media and the change in that media landscape. And you've got an incredible purview to have that conversation with. Well, it, it has been an interesting journey, uh, to be sure, and to come up in a time when we've seen just such incredible advances uh, in communication technology. Uh, St. Paul would give his right arm to have the luxury sure. of the kind of platforms uh, and modes of communication that we have uh, today. And um, and it's something that I've always been interested in. It's funny, you mentioned that, and I, a, a memory came to mind. Uh, when I was in junior high school, I went to junior high school uh, Montauk Junior High School in Borough Park, Brooklyn. And mm -hmm. it was one of the only junior high schools or middle schools that had its own uh, TV studio. It, it was really wow. quite that unique time for, sure. for that time. You know, we're talking yeah. about uh, early 80s. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I remember just being enthralled with learning from my then teacher, Mr. Kudakoff, I remember his name, uh, who kind of introduced me to the process of uh, producing. Sure. I had to come up with my own production and had to film it and camera angles and learning just all kind of the ABCs of, of t television production. And in a certain sense, that really s stuck with me. I've always been kind of a cinephile and really appreciate uh, the artistry of filmmaking and, and media. And that's always stuck with me. And so for the last several years, although, well, for the last several decades, really, uh, right. I've been engaged in kind of your traditional itinerant preaching, ministry, traveling, and doing live events. Uh, always really curious and interested in kind of the media aspect of it and how could I could leverage it. The farthest I got for the longest time was putting together a, a website as kind of, you know, media 101 as far as uh you know hanging out your shingle yeah. but it wasn't until as you said recently that i really took serious this uh this pivot into digital ministry and it's been fascinating charlie i'm having i'm having a ball <laughs> i bet have did you when you were in school did you ever think of maybe studying this or like getting into it in that way or was it more of a kind of artistic uh interest that you had for it at the, in those early moments that's a good question i was actually an art uh an art major 
Uh, mm. I had applied for uh, the, it was the, basically the Institute of Art and Design. It was a, a high school in, in Manhattan for sure. for artists and creatives. Is that is that the famous fame one? No, that's not that no, one. No, 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 oh. no. Not that kind of, a, no. Not um, that kind of art. But this was a real focus on art. And I, I had a real interest in and passion for uh, for art, for graphic design and what have you. Um, but things really turned in such a direction that I think they missed up, messed up the paperwork. And I wound up not going to that school, but going to another school where I still majored in art. But then beyond high school, really in high schools when I had my spiritual awakening and then really my call to, to ministry. Um, but I've always been interested in, in the arts uh, and in design and have always had this fascination for, for media. But no, I, I never formally, uh, formally studied for it. it, just had a real interest in it. And now <laughs> at this stage yeah, yeah, in man. my journey, I'm being thrust into it and I'm learning tons. Uh, I want to. I want to definitely touch on um, on the inspiration that you had in high school and that awakening that you talked about. But just one note before we get to that, which is exactly what you just said. Th do you ever find yourself looking back and going, you, you know, the, the the kind of breadcrumbs that God puts down, and like look back and go, oh All the my time. gosh, you know, that little studio lab that you were that you ran into in middle school, like that's a breadcrumb for my mind. It is, and it's funny because I haven't thought of that in 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 quite some time. But you prompted that, and immediately I went back to Mr. Kudukov and this opportunity, this unique opportunity. There was no other school uh, in, in our region that that had a, its own television studio, kind of state of the art for its time. And and I, I loved it. Uh, it was just, I had the time of my life, but then that's kind of where it ended, um, you know, for me. But yeah, that that certainly was a breadcrumb moment uh, for me in this, uh, in this process. And here I am, I've got my own studio <laughs> where I'm, you know, I'm, that I'm using to produce this content. And so it's just, yeah, yeah. yeah. What was uh, art involved in the awakening that you had in high school? Was art involved in the awakening? Um, not, no, not directly. Um, it was something that I was pursuing, but I really, going back to my high school years, I didn't know exactly how I would use this in, in a in a professional capacity, uh, in a revenue generating capacity. Um, you know, high school is a time of discernment, you know this, and, and really I didn't have a clear sense of what I was being called to. And it was around that time, as I mentioned, that I had that spiritual awakening, that encounter with the Lord that that changed the course of my life. And I began moving in the direction of discerning a, a career in education mm. because I then began to discover my facility for working with young people and for teaching. Uh, but that that was just the tip of the iceberg, as the Lord would uh, eventually sure. show me. Uh, but uh, but a direct connection to art, mm, no, not, not so much. No. What was the driver? I mean, to your mind, I mean, look, it's like I said, breadcrumbs. At least I found in my life that kind of peel back the layers and gradually bring us to that maybe awareness. But was there a moment of inflection in high school that made that spiritual awakening? sort of happened in a way that you, to your mind, to your recollection, that was the the pivot? Well, looking back, I think a, and I wouldn't say it was a, a, a moment per se, but 
I know something that stands out in my memory as I look back uh, at my younger years is the fact that you know, I'm the oldest of four, and my parents uh, early on had a really went through a really rough patch in their marriage, and and oh. I I remember it vividly. It was it was a, a bit traumatic for me, you know, listening to my parents, hearing them argue and and oh. bicker and fight, and um, it, it it really weighed heavily on me, and I just remember crying out to God for help because I didn't want my mom and my dad to, to break up. I didn't want my dad to leave. And yeah. I have these vivid memories of just feeling utterly hopeless uh, in the midst of that. Long story short, by the grace of God, my parents uh, decided, because I, I just noticed that, not that they announced this to us, but we were not church-going Catholics. They baptized were us. Catholics, were you Catholics in any? Okay, yeah. Yeah, you were. They, they were cultural Catholics. Uh, you know, we were baptized, but I had yet to make my first Holy Communion. Um, and it was during that time when they were going through this real difficulty. And then I just remember that we moved from the housing projects that we lived in, the Clemente projects in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and moved to Borough Park. And along with that transition, we also started going to church every Ooh. Sunday. This was just not the norm for us. And I remember watching my parents as we would go to church um, and how they would hold hands while they would kneel and pray. And I just saw the Lord. Again, I wasn't fully cognizant in putting the pieces together, but I just noticed that going to church made a real difference. They became involved in the parish and by extension we did you know we received the sacraments you know i became an altar server with my brother i became the captain of the altar service i mean really the lord and the church took center stage in our life and i just remember connecting the two and realizing that god had a lot to do with saving my parents marriage and saving our family and that stuck with me i mean i i i I remember as I was entering into my teen years, I went through a kind of a, a bit of a crisis, which is not new when it comes to teenagers and faith. You know, up until that point, I was happy serving as an altar server. My mother was a lector. My father was an usher. I mean, we were there several times a week, um, at least during those years. But I remember as I was going through high school, being kind of a bit disenchanted with going to church, you know, it was more of a drag. I wanted to get out of, you know, serving as an altar server, thought that I had aged out. It was time for me to move on. And so kind of the luster of the faith and my interest waned as I got older. And it was around that time of, of crisis of faith when I, <laughs> I announced to my parents, to my mother, one Sunday's we were getting ready for church that I was done, that I had reached an age, you know, I was 15. And when I, I wasn't going to go to church with them anymore, I was going to kind of wow. set my own schedule. I was kind of back off. I didn't want to serve as an altar server and that I didn't know, need to go to church in order to worship God, in order to believe. I believed in God, but I don't have to go there. So just all of the, mm -hmm. the typical objections and justifications mm -hmm. at that age. Well, God had a plan because we, I said to my mother, as, as I just saw her heartbreak, I said, you know what, I'll, I'll go to church with you today, okay, kind of to appease you. 
But then after that, please don't put any pressure on me. I'll go when I want to go. And she said, okay. And so we got ready, went over to church. I sat in the last pew, you know, arms folded, just waiting for (laughs) the mass to end for me to be liberated. And it was at that point that a, at at the end of the mass, we're getting ready for the blessing. This is it. Emancipation. It's, it's upon me. And this young person, young lady gets up and she makes her way to the lectern uh, to give an announcement. She wasn't from our parish. I didn't recognize her, but she was beautiful. And I just remember my eye just kind of following her as she went up to the lectern. And I was just kind of, who's this? And she made this announcement that she was from a neighboring parish, part of a youth group. And they were coming to St. Catherine's to start a youth group there. And that if there were any young people here at the mass, they invited them to come afterwards to the annex of the parish for a meeting. And so I sat there just kind of taking this in. After the mass was done, final blessing, I went up to my mother and my dad and I said, I'll see you guys at home. They said, where are you going? I said, I'm going where she's going. Right. (laughs) Uh, I felt compelled. (laughs) I was motivated (laughs) to go to that meeting. And uh, I had an ulterior motive, but I was intrigued at the same time. And I went to that meeting. Uh, I think my mother probably went like this after she heard me say that because it was the lifeline. It it was the Lord speaking. And so I went to that meeting and the rest is history. I mean, I encountered a group of young people that were unlike any other young people I had ever met. They were filled with joy and peace and an enthusiasm and vigor for life and a love for the Lord. And they discipled us. I mean, they evangelized us over a period of several months and then popped the question as to whether or not any of us would like to attend a retreat. I didn't know what a retreat was. They invited, I accepted, and was the first guinea pig, so to speak, to go from our parish. The rest is history. I mean, I at that retreat, I encountered the Lord in such a powerful way uh, that I just knew that my life was never going to be the same. And, and here we are, uh, three years later. <laughs> it's amazing to me, among other things, and that's an incredible story. And of course, you know, everybody has their story, their version of kind of looking back and seeing the different ways that God has been active, um, you know, in their lives and has drawn them closer to him. But what always comes up for me, and I've mentioned it <clears throat> a number of times on this podcast, is the frugality of God, right? That's my one of my brother's kind of, uh, you know, homily hallmarks. Uh, he, he touches on quite a bit uh, as a priest. And, you know, the reality that at that moment, the way that God answers prayer, first of all, because your mom may have been, you know, uh, pleading with the Lord, hey, you know, just don't let my son walk away. Just do it, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And here you're about ready to walk out and start making your own calendar. And, you know, you may never come back again. Who knows? And here at this last minute, you know, using that that ulterior motive, to use your words, right? But at, at, and not letting that go to waste, not letting that ulterior motive go to waste and using it to a positive end. It's just a miracle. I mean, it's a miracle to think about. It is. It really is. And and I never tire of sharing that story. It has resonated with so many uh, people, I mean, throughout so many years now of preaching the gospel and sharing my personal sure. witness. Uh, and it also, you know, it gives hope, especially to those mothers. And, and you know this as, a, as an ordained minister, as a deacon. Uh, 
the number of mothers and grandmothers that have come up to me at the end of my you know missions or what have you with tears in their eyes, um, they would say to me, you remind me of my grandson or you remind me of my Ooh. son. And, and I, I know where they're coming from. I know what they see in me, especially when I share that witness. And, you know, I've always used that as a means of, um, you know, being able to engender some hope in letting them know that, you know, the Lord is the hound of heaven. He's not going to give up on us. He's going right. to use any means necessary to draw us to himself. And he'll leave those breadcrumbs. And for some, you know, we have to go basically the route of, of an odyssey <laughs> in order to oh, yeah. come full circle and to find him. Uh, in my case, yeah, shipwrecked along the way. Exactly. In my case, thanks be to God. Uh, and I thank him every day that he was able to rescue me from, uh, I believe certain ruin, uh, because just given my youth and my ignorance and, and, you know, my arrogance or my hubris at the time, God only knows what I would have gotten myself into had he not rescued me at that point in time. So yeah, it's yeah, a tremendous absolutely. grace. You talked about a facility for young people that you discovered, right? This ability to kind of communicate, maybe maybe driven by this formation that you talked about, because you, you it seems like you were really well-formed and uh, maybe transformed by that uh, retreat experience. Yes. But, uh, you know, and especially given the timeline that we're talking about here, now you've been at this for, you know, nearly three decades, I think. Over, oh, right? yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 you've got to have seen there's a big evolution of young people driven in some in some respects by the same dynamics you touched on earlier about the evolution of media itself. But what's that like you give me like your what's the barometric read on young people right now? And and maybe how does that differ from when you got into this to begin with? Like where where are we with young people right now? Wow, that is that is a great question. Uh, I don't know necessarily that I have the answer for it. Uh, I'm so far removed, in a sense, from my early days. You know, I got my start in youth ministry. And, yeah. um, you know, after that retreat, this was part of a youth movement, very much akin to the Cursillos de Cristiandad. And so I uh, made that retreat, which was kind of the, 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 the youth version of the Cursillo, which is typically for adults, which uh, means a short course in the faith. And then I just immersed myself in the movement and they really formed me for a number of years. And, and I was engaged in youth ministry on a full-time basis, uh, you know, during those years at my home parish and th throughout the movement. And I would help lead these retreats. And uh, I just had the time of my life. It was just such an amazing time of, of transformation, continued transformation, but then learning and growing in formation. Um, you know, now fast forward over 30 years, more, well, over 30 years now, and, uh, and the landscape is just such, it's, it's so different. It's so mm. incredibly different in so many ways. Um, I, 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 I feel for young people today, as I'm sure you do, Charlie, because the, the America that I grew up in, you know, uh, is it, certainly not the America that we live in today. The challenges that we face kind of growing up are, are nothing compared to the challenges that I think young people face today. And it's interesting because looking at the whole question of technology, I think technology has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, if we face challenge back in, you know, in my day in the 80s uh, with regard to young people and the dangers that they faced, um, the challenges 
Today, it's even more stark, in my opinion, just given mm. the influence that technology has in the disintegration of our society. I hate to say it. In one sense, and this is not to say that technology or media is bad. It's not. It's neutral. It's how we use it. And certainly, one can easily make the case that uh, you know our modern media is uh, can be a force for good when used properly, but... There's the flip side, you know, to this double-edged sword. And on the flip side, it has been catastrophic in terms of its impact on, I think, the psyche. Uh, I mean, we're talking about neurological <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, as well as sociological. I mean, this is a devastating impact in terms of what it does to people in general, but in particular, young people who are raised... Uh, to be addicted to these devices and to these means of, of communication. And so you talk about social media and it's, it's better said that it's anti-social media because of, of how it's used and of how the media titans and the tech world seeks to absolutely addict us to oh. this technology. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, I think quite, uh, disturbing to see these trends. I certainly empathize for youth ministers. If I thought I had it bad in my day, you know, ministering in the inner city, uh, just given the drugs, the violence, and, and you know, all those particular pitfalls. Today, oh. it's just so pervasive. I mean, literally people are attached to these devices that lead them astray. You've got the, the scourge of pornography uh, and, and, I mean, the myriad of other issues that uh, are contained in, in, in just that uh, sphere of, of social media and technology, uh, it's, it's incredibly daunting. So, I, I, again, I say I'm no expert in this, and certainly being so far removed from youth ministry, I wouldn't be able to speak in a, in a really in a qualified manner, but I just think that you know, we yeah. really have some grave challenges uh, that we have to confront in that area. I think that's a pretty well, I mean, thought through uh, review of where we are. And frankly, the data support that, right? Did you, have you seen um, the uh, Social Dilemma, the movie, the documentary yes. on Netflix? Yes. You have? I mean, that's a perfect example. And by the way, created right in 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 effect by the very people who initially built some of these platforms, who are now, you know, perhaps in a moment of grace that they might not define that way, but coming to the realization, you know, hey, some of these things have been different, or, or have had a, a really outsized impact on on our constituencies. Because I was going to ask you. Um, as you started talking about these challenges and comparing it to the ones you and I had coming up, you know, maybe a bit of a philosophical or theological question, right? Are these problems that are different in kind or degree? And it sounds like they're different in, in, in kind in a way, right? We're talking about like, you you mentioned the neurological stuff. You're right. It's like, in some cases, your brain's being rewired. Yes. I don't know that, you know, we had different challenges. Yes. But I don't know that they were different in, in terms of their whole constitution of what they did to you. Exactly. I agree with you. Um, it, it is different in kind. Um, and it, it's something that I think we need to really grapple with uh, in in a very proactive way. I, I, and I 
really appreciate the fact that you mentioned the social dilemma because if, if for the viewers and the listeners who haven't uh, watched that, I'd highly recommend it. It is sobering to say the least yeah. uh, when you have these tech giants uh, who now are uh, championing the cause to really sound the alarm for parents and for society that uh, warning us of the dangers and the deleterious impact that these technologies have on the human person and especially those who are most vulnerable are our youth and i i don't think honestly charlie that we're doing quite enough um as a church to sound the alarm to parents and to really warn them and to warn them and to equip them to be able to deal with this in uh, in a really responsible and effective way and as I said a moment ago, I, 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 my heart goes out to the youth ministers who yeah. have just such incredible challenges that they have to confront sure. given, you know, the advent of, of these technologies that really are ruining people. Uh, they're ruining mm. lives. They're ruining, you know, marriages and they're, they're, you know, infecting families and, and our society as a whole. And we, we're just, I, I fear we're, we're growing too accustomed to this new modality, this new way of living, um, yeah. that we're too far gone <laughs> to be able yeah. to turn back. And, and it's just really sad. My, uh, uh, my buddy, uh, Armando Cervantes, who's the director of uh, youth ministry for the diocese of orange. Um, he was talking about some of these, you know, very challenges and it's, it's very, very true. The, the net effect that it has, right. One of the, one of the things in that movie that was the most maybe sobering to use your word for me was the one scene where they showed the overlap between the spike of a lot of these data, sociological, psychological data about um, suicidality and depression, anxiety, and they map that over the uh, product, uh, basically innovation time window of social media and, and mobile devices. Do you remember that scene? Yes, talking about? I do. And they kind of and they kind of overlapped it, and it was like, wait a minute, like almost to a literal day, <laughs> it's like the the change in these things began to happen related to things like the launch of iPhone in two thousand seven, um, launch of social media in a, in a real way, right? Twenty ten, um, and and all these dates. And yet, like we know, and especially somebody like you, who's who's uh, who's got training in philosophy and argumentation and that stuff, that uh, you know, correlation is not causation. But nevertheless, I mean, like that's pretty amazing coincidence. Oh yeah, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, I mean, it's it's Probably that was no like that was not surprising in the least bit, and and it, it certainly confirmed for me, you know, what it is that you're alluding to that, that there is a correlation mm -hmm. clearly there there's a causal connection here that that can't be ignored and when you have yeah. the, again the titans of the this industry uh really the ones that are are they've been the architects of this technology sounding the alarm i mean that's something that it's <laughs> that's crazy. really really compelling uh that For we, sure. we need to take notice of and um again i think the church needs to be more engaged in, in that in that effort because of just how pernicious this is 
uh, you know, yeah. parents just that we need to be evangelized in this regard and, and we need, yeah. we need to be given the tools, uh, and, and the resources to be able to, to confront this in our own homes. Because as far as the society is concerned, the, com- the society is completely sold out to this. It's just a way of life. It's the yeah. new modality. We're in a new epoch and there's no turning back. Uh, but that really can't be the case, particularly for believers, uh, who see what's you- going on. Do you think that the, that the solution, though, to use your word, or the beginning of the thinking about this, on some level, is kind of um, maybe which strategy you develop depending on how you view the challenge, right? So l- let me explain. In other words, and maybe some of this maps to even other uh, theories or ideas around how we deal with broadly societal challenges, you know, the, Bene- the, the Benedict Option and all these different things. But if you start at the very top of the waterfall— with respect to devices and social media, because they're everywhere. They're literally everywhere. It's, you know, all the technology have now become dependent on other technologies. So like you take one out and the whole thing falls. And so one argument could be, well, let's just like never introduce it, right? Kind of the, uh, the social media equivalent of the Benedict option, right? Let's just like retreat and we're not going to engage and we're going to keep the devices from the kids and we're never going to open up a website and never go on YouTube and never go on Netflix. And there's that option. Okay, that, you know, and there's a bunch of different tactics that could come under that broad strategy. The other one could be like, well, how do we lean into these things, right? To use your earlier point about the neutrality, I guess, of these platforms. How do we lean into these things to actually make them maybe give off some good as opposed to not, which clearly you're doing in your own work. But like, is that maybe the beginning of how we start thinking about this? Like which one of these paths to take? Or do you or do you think we should just like stay on one side of those? Or do you have a third way? No, I think it's a really good point you bring up. Uh, for me, and again, speaking as um, not only as an evangelist, as a media evangelist, but speaking as a father of six children, you know, my wife and I have to confront this as our children get older. How do we navigate this in a way that is responsible, uh, in a way that really prepares our children for this brave new world? Um, and I think to your point, what I've recognized is that, at, at least for us, and there may be others out there that might disagree, but in terms of the approach that you mentioned regarding, you know, kind of leaning into this or embracing technologies, but doing so in a responsible manner that recognizes the the neutrality of these devices and these forms of media and communication, but that is able to benefit from these technologies, using these technologies responsibly, knowing full well, you know, eyes wide open of the real pitfalls and challenges and to be equipped to be able to deal with those pitfalls and challenges. Because one of the things you have to confront is the fact that when I give my child uh, a device that has the capability of accessing the internet, they're about two or three clicks away from pornography. They're about two or three clicks away from, uh, you know, debauchery and and evil and, and that I don't want to expose them to. So how do we equip our children to be able to embrace technology, not to run away from it, but to embrace it for what it is, recognizing the real pitfalls, dangers, and challenges, and how to approach them in such a responsible manner so as to not become enslaved or entrapped by them. And I think realistically speaking, I mean, there may be some that might opt for, let's just, you know, 
live in the stone age, so to speak, and not embrace any of these sure. technologies and live like the Amish. Hey, good luck with that. But as far as I'm concerned, this is something that I believe uh, by and large, we're going to have to confront and we're going to have to navigate and really uh, prepare our and form our children to be able to deal with in an above board manner. I think doing that empowers them. I think it it begins to kind of build a culture that recognizes, you know, the good as well as the evil uh, and the inherent danger that exists within the realm of technology. Uh, doesn't run away from it claiming that it's a pure evil, but recognizes the neutrality of it as such, objectively speaking, but knows full well that it is being wielded by and large by people who have an agenda, who want to control you, who want to program you, who want to addict you. And so what do we need to do to prepare our young people, not to mention ourselves, so that we don't fall into those particular traps? That requires a lot more work and investment and energy. But I think that's the responsibility that we have, each and every one of us, to ourselves as well as to you know, our children and our grandchildren is to navigate these uncharted waters. And and that's the piece of it, Charlie, that I think within the church, pastors, bishops, uh, priests, deacons, evangelists, leaders, that we really need to do uh, a better job. I think a more concentrated uh, job at really speaking about these issues and not just um, you know, soft peddling it, but to really in our preaching and our teaching and our engagement uh, of the faithful is to really speak openly about these challenges and to offer some pastoral insight and wisdom. Because I think by and large, my guess would be, and people could disagree with me, that most are not going to go the route of the quote unquote Benedict option and are going to kind of retreat from these technologies. This is just a way of life. And as you say, um, there's a whole interdependent uh, system that, you know, if you pull one link out of the chain, kind of things fall apart. And so it makes us dependent upon these technologies. I don't think you can escape that. I think by and large, the populace, uh, generally speaking, is going to have to engage in some way, shape or form if they're going to be able to, you know, function within the context of our society. So how do we engage but do so in a responsible way that does not betray our principles and our morals, but that is able to seize technology for what it is, to use it for good, while at the same time guarding ourselves against those pitfalls, um, sure. which we can so easily be uh, you know, thrust into. Part of it for me is also us, is, and well said, part of it for me is, is us as parents, leaders, um, you know, lay, religious, clergy, etc., better understanding what it is we're talking about, right? I mean, when you talk about the things that you just said about, hey, you've got this, um, these big powerful companies that are really doing everything that they can to keep you, they use words that are euphemistic in certain cases, right? Engagement, audience, you know, things like that. But they're really metrics to an end of more time spent on these things. That's what it means. And the reason they want more time spent on them is because, simply put, it means more money. 
The more time you're on a platform, the more money, the more page views, the more impressions, all of that stuff is, is related to, to a monetary end. And money, as we know, certainly from scripture on the spiritual level, is a massive motivator, right? And you can only serve uh, that or, or something else. And hopefully we choose something else in the end. But so part of it is understanding that and knowing that on the basis of that, there really are these things that are real risks and real dangers, right? The the pitfalls that you described, well, from a technical standpoint, they're called algorithms. Mm-hmm. And they're basically, uh, you know, programming language that says, hey, this person liked this thing. Let me give them another one. And frankly, I'll give them another one with more of the thing that it seems like they liked, right? So think about that. If you're watching, I don't know, you're watching a boxing match, but you, you know, maybe you pause on or at, right after the person gets knocked out. Oh, this person likes knockouts. Well, I'm going to deliver street fight videos now. And I'm going to, you know, if street fights is going to lead to something else. And so this idea of these pitfalls is very much driven by an algorithmic way of looking at the world that creates this kind of rabbit hole effect where it is true, right? It is true. It's not just like us being school moms or conservative parents or whatever, that you can start one place and very quickly end up somewhere else, not even because of something you elected, at least objectively, right? So part of it is like, do we know that? Or do we speak about these things as, you know, kind of disinterested or not really educated um, third parties? I think we have to invest in knowledge of these different things, become better educated, do like what you're doing, right? Where you said it's been a learning experience with your whole media ministry. Well, you've learned a bunch, right? I'm sure you've learned, I've learned a bunch in all of this, and I've been in media for 20 plus years, but it's, it's us getting invested in this, in my mind, is a big part of the solution. Yeah. I, I, amen to that. I agree wholeheartedly. And this has to be across the board. Uh, we have to learn. I feel for for parents um, who who really have been largely ignorant of you know these currents within our society, um, who really don't have a clue in terms of you know what it is that we're talking about, and and yeah. the real pit, the real pitfalls and dangers um, you know that our young people face. But I think the church needs to sound the alarm because uh, there's an agenda here. There's an agenda afoot that is being implemented uh, so successfully, and and you know they are literally oh. conditioning and programming our young people, and and, and are de-evangelizing them. Uh, it's and when you look at the correlation between, as you said before, in terms of the advent of these technologies and 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 you know the role of media in in recent years and the rate of suicides and depression and and. It's no accident. And so I think the church bears a real responsibility in sounding the alarm and in seeking to safeguard marriage as well as obviously the family and, sure. and those most vulnerable. Um, so we've, we've got a ways to go. We certainly do. This but- is, this is what, one of the reasons I'm so excited about the resurgence revolution of the podcast medium, podcast platform. Um which I know you are a podcast host now among your many other things that you're involved with, with, with a walk in the word. Um, and I, I definitely want to talk a little bit about that. But for me, the reason that I'm so bullish on the podcast and excited about this is because it is a medium, at least for the time being, we'll see where it goes, that, um, that fosters um, conversation, fosters more nuance, fosters um, discovery, fosters um, 
in, you know, engagement may be in a true sense, right? This idea of you and I together having this conversation, people listening into this conversation, maybe getting a nugget here or there mm-hmm. and being able to use that. I'm very bullish about that because it seems to me very antithetical or to what the pervading kind of media industry is promoting, especially digitally, which is all about, you know, tweets and six second TikToks and share texts and things that are very much you know, small, and they can oftentimes lead to misunderstanding, polarization, et cetera. So like, I'm kind of bullish on this podcast um, thing from my standpoint. How, how, how do you see it? I, I would agree with you. Um, you know, it's something that for years now has been a real source of attraction. I'm kind of a podcast podcast junkie myself. I, I love listening to fascinating conversations that can stimulate me, that can, you know, um, really ch- challenge me and inform me and, and educate me and, uh, and evangelize. And so for years now, I've been, uh, really the beneficiary of these wonderful, um, outlets, uh, called podcasts that have really enriched my life. And I love learning. I, I'm a lifelong learner. I've always been voracious, uh, a voracious reader and just, uh, I love absorbing and learning new things. And so, I find that the podcast is a, a really wonderful medium for being able to have deep conversations, to be able to learn, you know, from others, luminaries and people, you know, of interest on a whole so you know, host of, of different topics and subjects. Uh, and I just love the fact that it is seeing this tremendous boom, uh, particularly stemming from the the pandemic and just how it's exploded. If we thought that podcasts were popular and growing uh, before the pandemic, uh, just in the last year, it's just experienced a tremendous uh, explosion of of just new voices. And I think that's good. I think it bodes well for us. Uh, Just the variety of voices and people engaged in the medium. um, I'm with you on that. I I just think it's a wonderful means of, of communication and evangelization. 100%. Um, Yeah. I heard a cool uh, insight that I'm not sure if you had come across with respect to podcasting in the pandemic, because the initial word when COVID hit on podcasting was, oh, this thing is dead because people weren't going to commute anywhere. And it's like, well, a lot of podcasts, you know, people do it in their car and they're on their way to work and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. The opposite happened. But the insight, the part that I found really interesting, the insight was because when you're commuting, you're driving. And so you're really not messing too much with your podcast. So you've got your little podcast, the one you like the best, or maybe you've got two or whatever, but you listen to that one and you're 45 minutes there, an hour there, and you're like, that's what you do. When you're not commuting, you're more apt to actually explore and sample other podcasts. So what happened is, you know, even though the duration, I think it was something like this, the duration of podcast listening on an individual podcast basis kind of decreased in terms of just single listens, Mm -hmm. the sampling and the variety and the the sort of like looking out at a broader spectrum of of podcasts dramatically accelerated, which led ultimately to a net gain for the whole thing. I was like, wow, that's actually makes sense. It does. uh, It does. That's interesting. Um, Yeah, it's it's just been fascinating. And and then looking at for example, in, in the Catholic world, just to look at the number of new podcasts that have been born out of, you know, the experience that we just had this past year, it's exciting. I mean, I, I look forward to listening to, uh, you know, these luminaries, Catholic men and women, religious, lay, uh, that have just unique perspectives, unique, uh, you know, voices, 
uh, sharing the gospel, having fascinating conversations on a whole host of different topics. Uh, the more the merrier, I, I say. People seem to be, some are daunted and say, oh, the, the, the medium is oversaturated. No, are you kidding me? No, the more the merrier. Just the more diversity, the more voices, um, it, it just makes it that much more interesting. Um, and so I, for one, I, I, I love the fact that it has grown as it has, um, you know, for those very reasons. There's plenty of, there's plenty of headroom still, you know, just to give some perspective. There's about 2 million podcasts right now in the world, um, of which I forget the stat, but let's just say something like 60% of them are actually active and creating, you know, fresh things. The balance are either podcasts that got started that kind of faded and also limited series that maybe have three or four shows, but not really about like an ongoing podcast. When you compare that roughly million active shows to more than 80 million, just, just YouTube channels just YouTube. <laughs> like you, you, you notice the headroom that's there and obviously they're very different media, but, but I'm with you. I don't think this is like, Oh, we're super saturated. We have some, you know, challenges with how you discover new podcasts and all that. But you know, that's where I think some of the technology to use, um, to use the earlier kind of conversation can help us, you know, find new voices and new things and interact with them. Um, hopefully in a, in, in a way that's sane, but, um, but you're having fun then with a walk in the word, that's your show. Um, scripture, you know, obviously focused and based about the readings, like, you know, you, you're, you're, that's something you continue to, to produce and create. Have you come across any interesting learnings there? Well, I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. That's, that's something that I discovered, I discovered early on, um, after my, my spiritual awakening and in terms of discerning my gifts, as I said to you, I, I, for a while discerned uh, a career in teaching because yep. I, I really became aware of the fact that I had this, um, this God given talent and, and gift for, for teaching and for engaging young people. And so I, I pursued that, uh, in my studies, but then uh, really the Lord was calling me into full-time ministry. And so, um, you know, looking at my trajectory, my passion really all along has been sharing the gospel and teaching the faith and, uh, and preaching the word of God. And so in starting this particular podcast, uh, it affords me the opportunity to be able to, to share my passion for the word of God for the teachings of the church and to do so in, in a way that is evangelistic. It's not just informative or formative, but it's evangelistic and, uh, and hopefully engaging and exciting. Um, and so basically it's a, what I call a deep dive into the Sunday mass readings. And so I do this on a weekly basis at really providing people an opportunity to, to go deeper into the exploration of, of the readings. Yeah. And I'm having the time of my life. I mean, it's awesome for my own edification, because, uh, you know, a great teacher is a great learner first. And so I have just been soaking up the opportunity to be able to, uh, continue my studies to go deeper. It's just been a source of tremendous edification. And the response has been really great on the part of those that have been, uh, been tuning in. I mean, it's a relatively new podcast, but it's it's taking shape and and I'm really enjoying it. And we'll be looking to branch out and to start a few other uh, podcast projects, including kind of an interview format uh, show as well, because I, I love having these kinds of conversations. So 
Yeah, well, you're going to be amazing at it. I mean, look, I, I've, I've heard the show, the current show. It's amazing. The, you know, preaching, teaching, to, to summarize it, you are an incredible, gifted teacher, preacher. Um, I love the fact that you're also, you know, a preacher, teacher who has the experience of, you know, coming up and living this, uh, this Latino reality as well, because it enables you this whole added element of engagement and connectivity with people here Um you know, in the country and look at the church and look at the state of the church and people and, and even the state of Christianity in the U.S., right? So that's like a, a really added benefit. But um, I've, I've loved listening to it. And, you know, whatever you do next, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be there tuning in for sure, because I can imagine what that would be. I want to touch, brother, on one kind of more thematic as we round this thing out, because I, 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 we got you know kind of stuck on some of these other things, which I love. Like we could have five hours just on on this, and we're gonna I'm gonna need to bring you back for like uh, you know part two and three. But one thing that I wanted to touch on, because it hits on you specifically, and something that I think is happening a lot in this you know, country that we're living in, in the world and in the moment that we're living in. And that is um, because you've taken a step out in faith. And I know, like everyone, I'm sure, you know, you've had your great moments of doubt and trial and tribulation, all that. I, I, I get that. But but you're a person who basically, you know, preaches and teaches and makes their living and supports their family through this work. And like in a very practical way, right, in a very practical way, you are, you know, living um, on the providence of God in a way that perhaps many people who are listening to this in, in more of a business context, like even though they're faithful, they don't necessarily, they can't wrap their mind around that, right? And I think what that what that does is touch on the subject of the idea of fear, right? The idea of doubt and, you know, being fearful about, again, the economy, the pandemic, these issues, where's the money going to come from? How am I going to pay my mortgage? Like all these very fear-driven things. And I come across that so so much in my ministry, so much about people, you know, just being scared, doubting, being fearful. We've done it in our own lives, but I look at you, and even though I know you've gone through some of the same, nevertheless, I look at your example of really selling out for Jesus, right? I really see that as being really particularly meaningful at this moment, you know, this time. When you think about that, just again, a little intro there, but when you think about that dynamic, are there you know, words of encouragement, uh, best practices, kind of tools that you, when you talk to people and go, hey, here's some things to think about to get a little bit farther away from that, maybe fear focus and more about this trust and faith focus. Like, how would you counsel, minister someone in that situation? Because there's a lot of us that are. Um, yeah, that that's a really great question. And man, uh, being involved and engaged in this ministry by the grace of God uh, and and by divine providence uh, for over 30 years, uh, being married for 17 of, of, of those years, uh, raising a family with six children. Uh, oh my goodness. I mean, you'd have to bring me back 10 times to get into just the adventures that we've had, um, you know, during our marriage and, and, you know, raising a family with regard to, to ministry and really trusting in the Lord. I just think generally speaking, each and every one of us needs to um, recognize that the Lord wants all of us. He wants all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. Uh, nothing less will satisfy. It's either all or nothing. And we need to respond as, as disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to offer him our everything. And that's going to put us in some very precarious positions and circumstances. 
um, because to live out the faith, practically speaking, to be faithful to the Great Commission and what that entails requires courage, nothing less than courage and faith in the Lord. And he has tested me, Charlie, as I know he has tested you. He tests Amen. every would-be disciple to see whether or not we really are committed to this discipleship, to following him. He tells us in the gospel, if anyone wishes to follow after me, he must deny himself. And really, that's where it starts. And for me, this has been, you know, over 30 years of me dying to myself, to my ego, to my pride, to my arrogance, to my agenda, my plans, my projects, my priorities, and really submitting myself under the yoke of Christ, humbling myself. And that process continues to this very day. I mean, I don't want to give the impression that I've arrived because Lord knows he's still purifying me of those things that I continue to latch on to. And it's a humbling process to be stretched the way that he has stretched me, the lessons that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made along the way. You know, I enjoyed, I'll just say this very quickly, because again, I, I could go on and on with regard to this really great question you've asked, is I was a, a career lay minister. I was one of the first lay pastoral associates in my home diocese back in the early 90s. Uh, I was young, full of enthusiasm, you know, uh, blazing a new trail, served in a parish for 12 years in Brooklyn before I relocated to the archdiocese. Then I began my next phase of my career here in the archdiocese as director of Hispanic ministry, director of evangelization. And then I got laid off <laughs> yeah. and when, when the economy crashed. And I was one of many who were laid off and you know, unceremoniously after devoting so much of my life to this particular career. I mean, it was, I was in my dream job uh, and that was taken away. And I was at that crossroads where I had to discern what was I going to do next. And long story short, through much prayer and discernment, my wife and I discerned that I was not to look for another job, but I was to step out in faith and begin a ministry as an itinerant preacher and really rely on the providence of God. Let me tell you something, Charlie, <laughs> doing that, making that decision. Oh my, the, the repercussions, because people have this cushy idea that God's going to provide. Oh, he's going to provide. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's, yeah. Going, he's going, he's going, exactly. He's yeah. going to test you in order to really, really humble you to mold and reshape you into the kind of disciple that he's calling you to be. He's not going to waste any opportunity to do that. And Lord knows those years. Uh, and in the midst of those years, that's when you and I met because I was preaching for several years, eking out a living, depending on the Lord. I mean, there were times where we were really up against the wall in terms of paying our mortgage and, and, and just all paying the bills and, the Lord would just, he'd come through in some miraculous way. Trust me, trust me, trust me. But let me tell you something, those were hard years. Those were lean years. Oh. We suffered a lot, oh. but God is faithful. And I wouldn't trade any one of those experiences of losing sleep at night because I, how am I going to provide and put food on the table for my kids and my family? Uh, I wouldn't trade that for the world because it it molded me. It, it The Lord beat me down in my pride and my arrogance. Uh, in order to make me a better disciple, which in turn would make me a better evangelist and a better witness for him. 
it was then in the midst of those years that I was recruited out of the blue by Catholic Answers, an organization that I had great respect for and, and an organization that had blessed me for many years in my growth in the faith. And that's where I met you, my friend, uh, since you served on the board of directors for Catholic Answers. And just this odyssey of God and, and his providence, it's not easy. It, it will never be easy if you're doing it right. Because you're doing it right. That's the Lord, right. He's going to take much. He's going to take you through the wilderness. This is your personal exodus, and if you've read the book of Exodus, if you've read the Old Testament, you know the pitfalls and the challenges, the testing. We have to die to ourselves, and I continue to to die, to be called to put to death in me those things that are not of Christ. And if I, in any way, shape, or form, Charlie, have been this much effective as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I owe it all to that, that humbling <laughs> that I have endured and continue to endure as the Lord tries to get Egypt out of me, as he tried to get oh. Egypt out of the Israelites. And there's Egypt in every single one of us. And the Lord is not going to stand for that. He's going to take us through our you know wilderness sojourn and along the way, he's going to have choice lessons for us. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. But that's what discipleship is. Die to yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And I continue to this very day to bear this cross. And it is not easy. It is filled with tremendous challenges. But I'm comforted in the knowledge, looking back, that God is faithful. God is ultimately faithful. He will make a way out of no way. He will provide for you as he has provided for me. And we have to be thankful that that manna is going to fall, that he's going to make that provision for us to give us our daily bread. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that, you know, I, I never tire of sharing with others who ask these, I think, important questions. And for those who are interested in ministry, let me tell you something. <laughs> the the challenges and the pitfalls are even greater for those of us who are called to be teachers. As St. Paul, you read St. Paul, he says, don't aspire to be a teacher. Don't aspire yeah. to this because with this mantle uh, comes a burden and a responsibility. You're going to be held accountable. And so with great trepidation, I, I engage in this and continue to knowing full well that my responsibility before the Lord is going to be even greater. And the challenges that I'm going to be facing are even greater than those of, of individuals that are not engaged in the apostolate. And again, that's not lost on me as I continue three decades in, uh, for me, I, with awe and wonder, with fear and trembling, I continue Amen. to work out my salvation. And it's not for the faint of heart, it is going to be absolutely at times brutal, uh, but it is nevertheless an inescapable reality that we're going to have to bear our crosses. I know we, we don't like to show that part. <laughs> we don't like to kind of delve into and, and, and speak of these, uh, you know, messier aspects of discipleship and life in Christ and ministry. But that's what it is. It's messy. It's messy. It's challenging. It's painful, at times brutal. But nevertheless, the Christian faith is not for the faint of heart. 
It is for the courageous. It is for those who are, as you say, are sold out for Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And you see those that are weeded out precisely because, you know, there may be, they may be attracted to the, the glamor of it all. And that's certainly a tremendous pitfall for anyone who is vain, oh, for anyone for sure. who is, it, it, it's, it's a tremendous pitfall. We see how so many men of God, women of God, people in the ministry uh, have been picked off by the enemy precisely because they have not guarded their hearts and their souls. They have not embraced fully the cross and they've given into these temptations that are real, my friends, <laughs> that are real. That's why I talk about the dying to self. And, and I continue to, until the, my dying breath, ask the Lord for his grace to overcome these real temptations. And with regard to the media, you know, you've got the phenomenon of, of you know, the Catholic media uh, personalities and stars. And let me tell you something, there are real pitfalls there. And we see, you know, go on YouTube and even in the podcast world, you have personalities that, um, you know, that they're luminaries and that people follow. And you, we need to pray for people who are engaged in media ministry. Pr please pray for me because the temptations are real. And I, I think it's so easy for us, every single one of us to be sidetracked and to succumb to these real temptations. Um, to really believe the hype and to engage in the cult of self. And we need to guard against that. And, and I, I try every day to beg the Lord for his grace to be able to withstand those kinds of temptations that are real. Nevertheless, um, as the temptation to celebrity and engaging and embracing that, that cult of personality is real. Um, I don't want to fall into this. Not about me. It's it's about the yeah. word. It's about the message. It's about the Lord. And I just want to be a vessel. I want to be an instrument. I want to be as transparent as possible so that the light of Jesus Christ can radiate and, through me to others. Uh, and, and that's not easy. It's not easy navigating that. Well, thanks be to God for for you for your ministry, brother. For I, you, you just gave in five minutes uh, a master class to a lot of the listeners of Living the Call. I'm sure of how to go about this, and it is true about Christianity and following the Lord not being for the faint of heart. But it's also true that the Holy Spirit uh, enlightens and fortifies our heart. That you know, as St. Paul said about, you know, enlightening the eyes and the ears of the heart and makes us be able to be able to withstand those things because he is faithful and he doesn't abandon us. And that is all true. So what a, what a great gift. Um, I know I only imposed upon your time for a little bit, so I got to get you on your way. But one quick thing before we get to the last segment of this show, uh, which uh, is our kind of rapid fire questions to catch you off guard and hear what you really think about things, my brother. I did want to just um, tell the folks how they can like, what do you want them to know about following you? I mean, you've got every aspect. You've got your podcast, you've got your Patreon page, you've got your site, you got your socials. Like, g give them a little sense of what you, yeah, what you want them yeah. to pay attention The uh, easiest attention is to, to go to my website which is my name, HectorMolina.com. There you can learn about, you know, the podcast, which, um, you know, I, it's not only an audio podcast, but is also uh, a video, uh, you know, production. So I have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. Just uh, do a search for Hector Molina. I've got a Patreon uh, page for those who are interested in partnering with me and 
uh, becoming a patron. As, as you know, this, it takes money to run this kind of an operation. And uh, so I welcome people who want to partner with me to support the work and help me expand my reach for the sake of making Christ known. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash Hector Molina, you can learn more about Upper Room Studios and consider becoming a patron. Awesome. Well, that's great. Okay. You ready for the rapid fire? Yeah, this is going to be fun. Let's do it. Okay. So question number one, percentage of people living in St. Louis who know their city is named after Louis the ninth, the only canonized Catholic King of France. (laughs) Uh, I'd say probably 50%. Really, fifty percent? Okay, I don't That's think a that they're. Than I, I don't think that they're. Yeah, I certainly don't think that they're cognizant of the fact that this is Saint Louis, you know, the ninth king of France. Um, you know, they on a fundamental level they know that it's named after a saint, but I don't think right. that they know full well that it is this particular saint, uh, king of France. But uh, but yeah, I think there's a fundamental knowledge at least that it's named after a saint. All right, very good. The optimistic view, I hear you. Okay, question number two. Boricua, a Boricua and a Dominicano arm wrestling. Who wins? How soon is it over? <laughs> uh, let's see. That, that's interesting. Wow, that's a bizarre question. <laughs> but I'm only asking it of a guy from Bed-Stuy. Come on, I got it. I, I love I gotta, it. Puerto Rican and a Dominican. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think it would probably be a tie because, you know, rice and beans and platanos are, you know, the staple of our diet and it, it fortifies us and make us, makes us really strong. So I, I think like there'd that. be a tie. Diplomatic answer. Yeah, I like well, that. Very yeah. good. <laughs> Got to keep the peace. I like that. And finally, question number three, speaking of Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy or Park Slope, which one realistically has produced the most saints? Wow. Interesting. Uh, I have the foggiest idea. I'd like to think, however, that uh, Bed-Stuy, given its reputation and its history, just given the struggle, really saints are, they're forged in the fire. And comparing Park Slope with Bed-Stuy is like apples and oranges in terms of the history of its demographics, its socioeconomic reality. So I'd venture to say that more than likely, we have a lot more saints that have been produced uh, in or on the mean streets of Bed-Stuy than, than Park Slope. I'm with you, brother. Awesome. Well, listen, please uh, give my love to your family and, um, you know, God bless and prosper your ministry and be with you every step of the way. You obviously, when you get to LA, we got to do this here. Um, and I'm, you know, uh, uh, cause I'd love to have that part two, part three, but, uh, but thank you for, for being on the show, brother. And, uh, and God bless you and all of your work. Thank you so much, Charlie. God bless you and your work as well. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform, or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Castan and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you, and thank you for listening.